If you're visiting, again, welcome. And we're really, really glad you're here. We love seeing people that we haven't seen before and, and so glad you would walk in the doors today. Just to tell you what we're doing, we are recently getting back into something that we were studying back in the winter and the spring. We took a break for the summer, but we are back into studying this wonderful book of the New Testament called Romans. And that's actually a long letter, but I'm just calling it a book because it's a book of the Bible. And um, this is by the Apostle Paul, and it's just a, a book, a letter that God has used in amazing ways in, in history, in individuals' lives and in churches' lives and even entire regions. So we're picking back up this morning in uh, Romans chapter 7, verse, verse 14. And if you don't have a Bible, the text is, is right there in the bulletin. Um, I, I hope you've had the experience before where you've, um, you've just had something really heavy on your heart, a problem or a setback, or a struggle, and you sat down and talked with a very, very good friend, or you might have sat down and and talked to a counselor, hopefully a good one. And one of the most comforting things that someone can say to you in that kind of situation is to say, oh, listen, what you're saying right now is completely normal. Or maybe a counselor uh, has said to you, you wouldn't believe how many people have sat in that chair and said what you just said. That, that is completely normal. And the relief that comes just to know that I, I'm not crazy and I'm not alone. Some of you may have seen the name uh, Brene Brown. She, um, she's an academician. Her background is in social work, but has really become more of a writer, popular writer and a speaker. I don't really know where all she's coming from spiritually, but just as somebody who has studied things like shame, and what gets in the way of deep relationships and deep vulnerability. As somebody who studied that as an academic, she has said that two of the most powerful words in the English language are me too. And this passage, it's not an overstatement to say this may be one of the biggest me too passages in the whole Bible. Because this is no less than the Apostle Paul writing to these Christians in Rome, but since God has preserved this in the Scripture, He's also saying to us, um, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and He wrote this to Christians, and you just go, I I just don't get the way I live. And, And I thought that I would be so different by this point in my spiritual life, and I'm not. And I do things I don't want to do, and I don't do things I want to do, And I just don't get it. Paul is giving us a gigantic me too. And good news along with it. And I want to to tell you one term that I want you to understand before I read this because it's very important really for understanding Paul and Romans, but but definitely this passage. Paul's going to use the term flesh. Very important. He's not talking about our physical existence. Our, our bodily existence. God made that. It's good. When he uses the term flesh, he's using that for, in a Christian, the residue of the old self. And this has been a big deal that we've been talking about because it's a big deal with Paul that he wants us to know that if you're a Christian, if God has worked in your life to rescue you and shown you his mercy, that you're not a forgiven old you. You're a forgiven new you. The old self died. But it leaves behind these patterns. 
these habits, these sensibilities. And Paul just kind of takes that whole thing, the behaviors, the inner longings, everything, and just calls it the flesh. All right, with that in mind, Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, uh, what, what a strange bunch we are that we could say with Paul that things that I just cannot stand about myself, things that I can't stand for other people to do, I'm doing those things. And ways that I really want to change, qualities that I want to have, I'm not doing those things. And so, Father, we of all people need to hear you. Please help us and please open up your word to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One sad aftermath of uh, the last 10 years or so of um, combat military action that, that the U.S. Has, uh, has been engaged in is uh, how many Americans have lost limbs in the last decade or so. And, um, and people lose limbs not just for combat. It's very, it's very sad that that happens at all, but it also happens because of disease or um, to, to rescue the healthy part of somebody's body. But you may have heard of this, that when someone loses a limb, they can experience something called a phantom pain. And, uh, and I'd heard of that. I just thought that it meant that uh, it's the feeling that the limb that's not there anymore is still there. And that is a kind of phantom pain. But there all, apparently there's all kinds of varieties that the person feels the limb, the body part that's not there moving, or feels that body part hurting or burning. Uh, or feels it shrinking. But it's the feeling that, that, that this thing that's not there anymore is still there. And, you know, there's even instances where somebody was hurt in combat, went unconscious, and uh, while they were unconscious, they got medical help, but this, this injured limb was amputated. They woke up, they're alive, 
but let's say their right leg isn't there anymore. And, you know, they're saying, I, but I, yes, it is, I feel it. And they look under the covers and there's no leg. But they can feel it there. Now, I want you to imagine this scenario. And this is a weird mental picture, but, and, and all analogies are imperfect. But just try, try to imagine this. Try to imagine that, let's say, that man, that soldier. And he was injured, went unconscious, taken into medical care while he was under, right leg amputated. He wakes up. It feels like his right leg is still there. He says, my right leg is there. The doctors show him, you don't have a right leg anymore. And let's say a few minutes after that, someone walked into his room and they held a hypodermic needle right over where his right leg used to be and then plunged it into the bed. And, of course, he just jerks to the side. But the needle just went through air into, into mattress. All right, now, here's, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about all the, all the factors there. There's the leg that was there, and now it's gone. It's not there anymore, right? And then you've got this phantom pain. It feels like it is still there. It feels like it is really there and doing things. And as this person who is so used to that responds as if it's still there, there's an action. Here's how I want you to think about this. In in, in terms of Paul and how he talks about the Christian life and what goes on in our soul and the kind of words he uses in in his passage, think about it this way. That missing limb is the old self. And the way Paul talks about the old self of the Christian that was put to death, it's not just an arm or a leg or a foot. It was just the whole self was put to death. But let's say that's the leg that was there, and now it's gone. Showed up with it, but now it's gone. The phantom pain, the feeling that it really is there and it's alive and it's still part of me is the flesh. That's the flesh. But then there's this other thing, and it's the pattern that the more I believe that, the more it feels real to me that that leg is still there that's not there anymore, I'll act as if it really is, even though it's not there. Paul would call that not a pattern. He would call that, in the Christian, the law of sin. I know this is theological and it's deep, but that's Romans. And we're grown-ups. So I want you to wrestle with it. The old self, not just for people in general, but for the Christian, the old self is not there anymore. But that was so much a part of... Not a part of... That was our identity. That now, even though it's dead, it feels like it's alive. It feels like it's still me. So much so that I'll act on that basis. I'll respond on that basis. That response of me believing that that old me is still alive and still there is called the law of sin. Now just try to, try to hang on to that for a second. Because before we dive into this anymore, I, there's something I've got to speak to. And I, I mean, I'm teaching all the time, but this is, this is very teaching. There's an old debate in this passage. This is one of the most famous passages of all of Paul's writings, which is saying something. And one New Testament theologian said, more ink 
has been spilled about this passage than anything else he ever wrote. One of the reasons is because there's a debate about, is he describing a Christian or someone who's not a Christian? Because you've got somebody saying, man, the very thing that I want to do, I don't do it. And the very thing that I don't want to do, like the evil that I don't want to do, I do that. Is that, that can't be a Christian talking, can it? Wonderful, godly, brilliant people disagree, disagree about this. Let me tell you where I'm coming from. Where I'm coming from is that this is Paul describing not only his Christian life, but the normal Christian life. And I'm absolutely confident that that's true. And I hope that's not bravado because there's some brilliant people that would say, I disagree with you. But l- let me give you a few reasons. And if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. Uh, if, you, if you're a facilitator for a community group, you might want to write this down. Although we'll try to send you something to, to reinforce this. But a few things. Number one, when you look at Romans chapter 7, the verb tenses in the first half of the chapter, that we, we looked at part of that last week, are past tense. And then in verse 14, the verb tenses change to present tense, and they stay there for the rest of the chapter. Like, here is what is the case. All right, second thing. Look in verse 22 of the passage. Paul says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In the original, it's in my inner man. There's only one other place where Paul uses that term. It's in another one of his letters in Ephesians. And it's very clear he's talking about something that the Christian has on his or her outside. It's not just a human description of like, well, my internal life, my internal spirituality. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. That's not how he's using the term. It's something that the Christian has on the inside. My inner man, my inner being. Technical term. Third thing, look in verse 25. Look at how Paul, and we're about to look at this in depth. Look at how Paul is letting two things coexist very clearly. He says, so then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. Sounds like a new man. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And just a few verses after this, in Romans 8, which hopefully we'll get to next week, Paul says, the person who's not yet saved, the person who's still in the condition that we all naturally show up with, is hostile to God. They may seem very nice. They may seem like a sweet person. But the natural condition is that person does not, deep down, in their heart of hearts, want to please God. And the man he's describing himself... I want to please God desperately. But I'll tell you one other big reason, y'all, and that is almost two millennia worth of Christians, when they read this passage, have said, I could have written this. I mean, did you feel that a little bit when you heard some of those words? I could have written these words when I think about my life. So the approach I'm taking this morning is that this is a description of a Christian a special one, Paul, but talking about the normal Christian life and talking about a struggle, an internal struggle. And we'll look at a couple of things. First off, the struggle of the believer. We're not talking about humanity in general. The struggle of the Christian. 
the person who believes in Jesus. And then the second thing is good news for strugglers. So the struggle of the believer and then good news for strugglers. Well, you know, I've I've taught on this passage before and I've studied it before and, and, you know, delved back into it this week. And I don't know if this is from being older, but the verse that jumped out at me more than it ever has before is verse 15. Okay, this is Paul, truly one of the great minds that we know of. And he says in verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. You could, you could translate that literally, more simply. I do not understand what I'm doing. Paul talking about Paul. And think about how he unpacks that. First off, all right, I don't understand what I'm doing. What am I doing? Look in verse 15, the very next part. It says, I do not understand what I'm doing, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And he essentially says the same thing down in verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, you, you, you look at that and you go, all right, now wait a second. Are you, are you new, Paul? Or are you old, Paul? Well, all right, what does he say? Verse, look, look in verse 17. When I do that, when I do stuff I don't want to, when I don't do stuff I want to, what's, what's going on inside of me? Verse 17. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. All right, what did Paul just say? When I sin, when I do stuff I don't want to, or fail to do what I want, that's not me. That's not Paul. That's the sin dwelling in me. It's the flesh. Okay, so you're saying then you're new. You're not the old. Then what does he say? Look in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. All right, you're saying nothing good dwells in you, Paul, and what is you? And you're saying nothing good dwells in me, i.e., my flesh. So you're calling the old you, you. Which is it? I don't understand how you're describing your life. And Paul might say, did you not read that I just said that? I just said that about myself. I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't understand my own actions. And again, I just read this, but look in verse 25 again. Not the first part, but the second part. He says, so then I myself and every commentator, every New Testament scholar that I looked at made this point. that When Paul says, I myself, that's a great translation, it's emphatic. He's not just saying I, but I, me, myself, em- emphasis. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, yay. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin, Boo. Which is it? Uh, have, does this resonate with your experience? If you're a professing Christian? You know, um, I, uh, I'll quote Lord of the Rings from time to time. And, uh, and, I, and I, sometimes I think I'm kind of a snooty about now. I'm going to read you something that wasn't in the movie. And, uh, you know, so if, 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 you, if you've only seen the movie, then you may not know about this part. Well, that's true, and, and there's precious few places where I would say I like something about the movie more than, more than the books. 
I want to read you something that was an addition in one of the movies. And I don't know that I would say it's an improvement. I would say it was very powerful. It drew on things in the books, but it's not straight from the books. This is in The, the Two Towers. And <clears throat> it's a scene where Gollum, this just little sinister character who used to be a creature like a hobbit named Smeagol, and he's become, because of the ring, he's become Gollum. It's a scene where he's having an internal dialogue, but he's saying it out loud. I I wish I could impersonate him. I can't, and I don't think you want me to. But but we're going to start off with Gollum, and I think you'll hear the, the switching back and forth. First, Gollum. We wants it. We needs it. Must have the precious. They stole it from us. Sneaky little hobbitses. Wicked, tricksy, false. No, not master. Yes, precious. First they will cheat you, hurt you, lie. Master's my friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. And he covers his ears and says, Not listening. Not listening. You're a liar and a thief. No. Murderer. Go away. Go away. I hate you. I hate you. Where would you be without me? And I'll tell you that when I saw that scene on, on, the, on the big screen, it got me because that dialogue felt so familiar inside of my own self. And, you know, that, that can take different forms. As we talk about from time to time, Jesus himself never played down the reality of the forces of evil, evil spirits, and even an actual real devil, real satanic influence. And one of the names of Satan in Scripture is the accuser of the brethren. And this is an old strategy of his, and it looks something like this. Okay, so... So you're going to get dressed up, and you're going to drive to downtown Prez, and you're going to walk in and grab your bulletin and be nice to people, and you're going to act like everything is hunky-dory when you know what you did. And the reason it's such a long-standing strategy is it's so incredibly effective because it's so devastating to hear that. That can come from without. That can come from spiritual attack. Um, It can also come from within. It doesn't have to be Satan. It doesn't have to be the forces of darkness. It can be your own heart. It can be your own conscience saying, how is it even conceivable that you're actually a Christian when 5,928 times you have told God that I will never again such and such, and you did yesterday. You must not be a Christian. And the interesting thing about that one is that we wouldn't, you know, we're not surprised that the devil would attack us. We're not surprised that the devil would lie to us. But when it's from within in your own heart, here's the amazing thing is, if I may put it this way, there's a sense in which your own self is being harder on you than the living God. Because the self is saying to the self, Real Christians don't struggle when God has never said that. This is the normal Christian life. And it's, it, 
there's just a host of different backgrounds in this room, but it may be that you have sat under teaching or you've read a Christian book or you have a very, uh, just a, a friend who's really spoken into your life that has prompted you to believe that real Christians, if they're real Christians and if they're really trusting and if they're sold out for Jesus, they finally hit this point of, call it what you will, victory, arrival, higher life, where there is no more struggle, the New Testament does not recognize that plateau until heaven. That the normal Christian life is struggle in, in, in your insides. And you know what? Here's the amazing thing. I'm, I, I, when we talk about God, I want to be reverent and I don't want to reduce him to like, you know, the friendly psychotherapist. But what if... In a sense, God in His love is looking at you this morning and He's saying to you, like a good counselor, listen, you would not believe how many people have sat in that seat where you're sitting and felt what you feel. You would not believe how many people have sat where you're sitting and felt that they were the only ones who struggled this much. Am I even a Christian? And God is saying, it's normal. Is sin okay? No. Is sin the enemy? Yes. Is this serious business? Utterly. But is it normal? It's normal. So what's good news for strugglers? And uh, I want to use some theological words here. And I actually put some definitions in the bulletin. I'm not preaching from the definitions. Uh, These are from our catechism, the shorter catechism. But the words are Bible words. Justification and sanctification. And there are different ways of saying, how does the good news of Jesus Christ speak to our condition? And here's what's amazing. The gospel gives good news for my status before God forever. Unchanging status. But the gospel gives good news that I can actually change in this life. Let me unpack that a little bit. Justification. Verse 25. Man, this... This is so great to hear after Paul has described the struggle. And he says this, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he he speaks about the struggle again. What I want to do, I don't do. I've got this law of the mind, law of sin, and they're waging war inside of me. But then the very next verse after our passage, the first verse of Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but he acknowledges the struggle right in between them. What does that mean? Here's the plainest way I know to say it. My consistency in obeying cannot be my righteousness. My consistency in obeying and being faithful to God has never been my righteousness. Your faithfulness, your consistency, your obedience, if you believe in Jesus Christ, has never and cannot be your righteousness. Our righteousness is Jesus. His life and His death and His resurrection and ascension That is our righteousness, and that can't change. That cannot be taken away. 
in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of just saying, oh, I thought that. And this is not everybody here, but it's some of you. I thought that 30 years into the Christian life, I wouldn't still struggle with fill in the blank. Pride. How could I have sinned this much and still have pride? How could I have just bloodied my nose relationally so many times and have this much pride? But I do. How have I not made more progress in the way I think about the opposite sex? Or the same sex? Why, why do I still have this struggle with food? Or with drink? Or with anger? Why do I speak to children this way? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Justification. But what about sanctification? And on this one, I don't really want to go like, look at this verse, look at this verse. Just think about the whole thing. Um, have you ever read an account of someone uh, who, who got close to freezing? And you'll hear accounts that, that one of the most dangerous things is that the person starts to feel warm. Or maybe in school, maybe back in high school, I don't know, you might have read the story, To Build a Fire. It's about a man that freezes. And he, and he freezes at the end. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's a work of fiction. But in the account, finally at the end, the cold is just getting in. It's more and more painful. He's struggling to leave. He's struggling to get to a camp. And finally he realizes he can't. And he says what comes over him was the most restful, deep sense of sleep he had ever experienced. And the dog that's with him smells death and backs away from him. I mean, think about that. The person who's freezing, when they stop feeling that they're struggling, that's death. Conversely, think about how awful fevers are. Uh, one of our sons has had fever off and on this week. Fever is yuck. Fever makes grown-ups feel bad. Fever will, will make you say about your body what Paul says about his soul in verse 24. Now, I'm not being funny. Like, if you've ever had a real... The first time I ever had the flu, there's two kinds of people in the world. There are people who, who, who say, I think I've had the flu, and they've never had the flu. And there's people who've had the flu. I was, I was one of the first group until I had the flu. My first year of seminary, and I, I really felt like will some close friend of mine go out and purchase a hand grenade and set it on top of me and just detonate it and do your friend duty? Because I, this is awful, awful, awful. Aches, fever, everything. But when you have fever, unpleasant, can't wait for it to go away, wish you would never come back, what does fever demonstrate? There's a fight. And Paul says in Galatians, another one of his letters, that the fight, this is amazing, the fight is not between your flesh and your new nature. You know what the fight is? The fight is between your flesh and the Spirit of God. That the flesh wars against the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit wars against the flesh. I wonder who the eventual winner is going to be. My money would be on God. And let me leave you with this, because I, when you see yourself fail, when you're hurting, you're hurting. 
But I, I want to read you a good pastoral, wor- uh, pastoral word. John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, was a wonderful man and uh, was a pastor. And I've, I've got a little collection of his letters, and there's a letter where he's writing a man about the sin that's still in his life. And John Newton says, you know what? There are actually advantages to still having sin in your life. You think, man, why would you say that? I don't ever want to sin. I want to love God and love people. How, how could my sin be an advantage? And here's what John Newton says about, um, about Christians. He says that when, after a long experience of their own deceitful hearts, after repeated proofs of their weakness, willfulness, ingratitude, insensibility, they find that none of these things can separate them from the love of God in Christ. Jesus becomes more and more precious to their souls. They love much because much has been forgiven them. I I, I don't know everybody in this room. I know some of you pretty well. Some of you really do love people. Uh, I'm humbled by the way some of you love people. And what it's come from, because not everybody showed up with just this golden retriever demeanor. But where, the real day in, day out, look, where it came from is that you have gone back to Jesus over and over and over, and you have seen him not change. And not just tolerate you, but love you as you struggle. And Newton says this the people who've had this, Christians, they will not ascribe anything to themselves, but are glad to acknowledge that they must have perished a thousand times over. If Jesus had not been their Savior, their shepherd, and their shield. Your struggle is normal. But if you're in Christ, your struggle cannot keep you out. There is no condemnation. But your struggle, hard as it is, is actually a demonstration that God is at work in you. And He's never going to let you go. And that's the normal Christian life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is hard for us to remember in the moment when we fail, we disobey you. Have mercy on us. Please help us first to remember the finished work of Jesus. The finished work of Jesus for struggling sinners. Help us also to remember the ongoing work of your Spirit to change us from the inside out, that this fever in our souls, these phantom pains, means that you are at work and you're changing us. Father, would you dismiss us as encouraged people for the man or woman who's never for the first time said, Jesus, take away that condemnation so that I might struggle. Would you give him or her the faith that they need? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.